Uh, yeah, we can do an, a bonus episode of Click a Cast if you want to, like an a, appendix a, episode. Yeah, Alana asked if we were going to, and I was like, I don't know. We all, I think we kind of said what we needed to say, and she was like, there are podcasts that have nothing to do with Beverly Cleary that are doing Beverly Cleary episodes. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Should I just do an intro? Sure, yeah. Hi, everybody, and I'm Phil Gonzalez. I'm John McCoy. And this is a special appendix episode of Click It Cast, a Beverly Cleary podcast. Right. Uh, and unfortunately, it is convened under sad circumstances. We're recording this, uh, I think, two days after the announcement of Beverly Cleary's passing. Yeah, they they announced her passing uh, the day after she she died. We we would often talk Phil and I about how amazing it was that she had lived so long and continued to live so long, and and of course we knew we wouldn't be uh, blessed with her forever, uh, right. but we kind of thought we would. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, she lived to be a hundred and four, and I was saying. Uh, I said online that her birthday is April 12th, and I'm just going to give her give her the mulligan and say she lived to 105. I think if you if you get that close to your 105th birthday, you're pretty much 105. Uh, but it's true. Like she lived so long that it all it, a seemed like she would live forever, and because she was out of the public eye, like I didn't really. I didn't really have any idea of what was going on with her. So she was kind of in this sort of like liminal space, like in my head. Right. I mean, she would do interviews from time to time. Uh, the last book she had done, of course, was uh, Ramona's World, which was what, 95, 90? Yeah. 90, yeah. Something like that. It was her, her last uh, farewell to Ramona. And you can all go back and listen to our podcast about that to see whether or not we thought that was a successful return to form. I suppose we should have something um, final to say here on the su subject of, of Beverly Cleary. No, I, it's weird because I feel like our last episode was that. Like, I think it felt like we closed the book. We we summed up all of our thoughts. My thoughts on Beverly Cleary haven't changed much since our last episode, I guess is like my... Uh, my 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 statement. She was a brilliant writer. She had an amazing life, and she contributed like so much to to American children's literature. You mentioned before that you you really credit her with sort of inventing the post-war children's book in America. There there, there really wasn't uh, a lot of there weren't really a lot of models. There, there were Victorian models for children's literature. There were things like Peter Pan or there was The Secret Garden or that sort of thing. There were um, the Little House books, but those also existed in a different time from the time that they were published. There were like contemporary children's fiction books like that set that were about kids, but they didn't have the 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 ring of authenticity, the like the patience and the 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 attention to the child's like inner life that Beverly Cleary knew kids were hungry for, and and I think like more so than just the form, it was the content that the 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 ability the, the her ability to go that extra step and imbue her characters with with inner lives that children could instantly relate to, and that makes them timeless, like. We always bring up Homer Price, but I think there's a reason that Homer Price doesn't reverberate through the decades, and it's because while it's a charming book and he was a charming character and did charming things, like 
create a donut machine, which Ramona certainly <laughs> never did. Uh, we we weren't. There's no sense of like, yeah, Homer Price is like he's every child. He he has the deep. He has the depths that we would like to plumb further. No, he's just he was a stock character. And right. Well, Homer Price exists in what I would consider uh, part of the regional fiction tradition. The the kind of stories that were built around quirky observations of regional humor. Uh, you know, they, they, they had the, I, I, it's been a while since we've read, well, since I've read Homer Price. And, um, I, I just remember there being the old crotchety guy who Homer talks to, who's just like, now I've seen everything kind of guy. And, and it's, it's the sleepy stories of Ohio, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the in the post-industrial uh, revolution, Ohio, uh, but Cleary was about the present. It was about the now, and this is one of the reasons why, uh, as as we've said, uh, it, it it's a little frustrating when uh, editors choose uh, illustrators or or instruct their illustrators to update these books for. Uh, the modern decades, because they, they don't make any sense in the modern decades. The, nothing that happens in uh, uh, Henry Huggins makes sense in 2021. Right. And you can't, yeah, you throw in a modern bus and, you know, he's carrying Ribsy around in a, a, a an old, like, uh, I don't know, Nike shoes box. You're like, this isn't, this isn't, this doesn't ring true. Right, and he's fingering the coins in his pockets to figure out whether or not he has enough money for bus fare and to call his parents. Right, right, and it's probably you know like I was gonna say something like it was it should be like illustrated as euros, but it clearly does not set in Europe. I don't know why I'm in my mind like the modern Henry would be would have a pocket full of euros. <laughs> no, that's the Henry Huggins uh, Tintin uh, crossover. Um, uh, but I, two two observations that I've noticed is that are from just like scouting people's posts about Beverly Cleary's uh, is that a many people don't know that Beverly Cleary and Judy Bloom are different people. Uh, there's there's enough. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Quotes and uh, and uh, and the like and and like fudge references that I'm like, okay, you, you should actually look this up again. And b uh, Judy Bloom wrote about how much of an inspiration Beverly Cleary was to her and mentioned that she never met Beverly Cleary. She's like, I sure wish we could have met. We never did. And I'm like, seriously, like not even accidentally, like at a, like at a convention or something. Like, it just seems like they would have had an encounter, but they, yeah, they never, they never met each other. Well, this is an interesting point because last night, uh, my wife, Marina and I finally got around to watching Julie, Julia, the movie about uh, the the woman who cooked through all of uh, Julia Child's recipes, coupled with Julia Child's life in in France, and uh, my my heart kind of skipped a beat at the end when they had the scene where the the young woman who is blogging about cooking all of Julia Child's recipes hears that Julia Child uh, dismisses her as being. Um, disrespectful mm-hmm. and and this is this is to me this would be the the most crushing thing ever <laughs> would be if if somehow beverly cleary had heard one of our episodes and said hmm, they, they got it all wrong right and just two 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 guys you know right riding my coattails to 
uh, podcast fame. <laughs> Do you think Beverly Cleary listened to podcasts? I have no idea what Beverly Cleary was doing uh, for the last, I mean, what, the last 16 years of her life. It's so weird because all the shows right now that are talking about Beverly Cleary are doing these like fascinating rundowns of her life and her influence and her, you know, like, did you know that Beverly Cleary like was a librarian during World War II and that she did this and that she did that? And I'm like, yes, we did. We spent years talking about this. I don't feel like there's anything else for us to add because we spent years talking about Beverly Cleary uh, <laughs> on a more or less irregular basis. And and I don't know, like to me, like. That's, she had a great life. She lived to 104 plus. Like, good on her. Like, she did it. She made it. She will never be forgotten. I do find myself thinking a lot about how her life intersected with history. It's amazing to think of someone with a with a working memory of the Depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and she 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 came through the Depression. She came through World War II working in the military yeah. and she uh and she came up uh, in a job when there weren't a lot of opportunities for women and right. it it's there in her writing you can see decade by decade how things are changing and i i think it's in some ways not um not just happenstance that the books that we most associate with Cleary are the books she wrote in the seventies. Um, that was a time of incredible change and incredible, uh, you know, social rearrangement. And her books at that time were right on the heartbeat of what was happening. And Ramona's story and Ramona's father's story and Ramona's mother's story are still, uh, part of our, our living memory. No, I was just talking about about this with with Alana this morning. Uh, the the when I was in when I was in college, uh, uh, theater producer and director George Abbott died, and he died at the age of 107. And he had just been on the Tony Awards right before his 107th birthday. They 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 brought him out, and he said, "On with the show." And he was working up to his death. He worked on the Broadway revival of Damn Yankees, and I remember being a. And he couldn't, like, he had to have everything explained to him, described to him, but he had final say in any changes they made. And I remember thinking at that, when I was that a kid, like that young, and just being like, man, you lived to be over a hundred years old, no matter when, when it started and when it ended. You've seen enough history and have been aware of enough history that you can do comparative studies of points in your life. Because the world has changed substantially. Like, George Abbott was born in the 1880s, and he died when I was in college. And to me, that just, like he saw the birth of Broadway, the creation of American theater, like, and then he was part of it, and then he changed it, and then he got to see it move on. And and I feel the same way about Beverly Cleary, like to have been privy to the birth of the automobile, and then to have like died in like the era of of TikTok and and frivolous frivolous uh, 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 technological advancement, like to have seen something that so profound as the way people get from point A to point B change to we're just throwing technology at the wall now to see what entertains people is I don't know there's there's like this huge shift in the culture that she she experienced and and to me that's just mind blowing I cannot I can't I can't fathom, uh, you know, the life she lived. 
This is the hard thing, though, again, with, uh, with, with children's authors. For me, there's always a part of myself that is the, uh, the, the, the six-year-old boy who found a, a used copy of Henry Huggins for, for sale at the library sale, which is still my copy. I bought it for 15 cents. Um, and, had no idea what I was getting into when I, I read that. It always felt, and, and at that point, I wasn't so attuned to the differences between the time, which was what 1974, 1975, and and the uh, time the book was set in was was the 1950s. Uh, it all it all felt like the 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 it felt like the moment to me. It felt mm. like that time, and and I have to sometimes remind myself. Um, of of where Cleary's life intersected with my grandparents' life, or where yeah. it intersected with my parents' life, I have to think what was what were my parents doing at this time? And if you read Beverly Cleary's you know autobiographies, her memoirs, uh, uh, I think it paints a just a brilliant picture of of where all that did come from and how she managed to not fall into the trap of nostalgia for her life. But just use her experience to inform the books she was writing. Recently on Sophomore Lit, I read for the first time uh, Jane Austen's Persuasion, and I was once again struck by how much of Cleary's voice comes from Jane Austen. It's, it's very funny, but in a in an extremely subtle way. I mean, in, in some ways, she, we we talked about how. When she started the book, she had to have kind of wacky situations that yeah. uh, that Henry got to be in. But by the time she was really uh, in her element, in the time of the Ramona books and, and such, those books are funny without necessarily, uh, you know, pie in the face kind of, of humor. They were the, the funniest parts of those are the small exchanges between. Uh, Beezus and Ramona or the or the little interior thoughts that Ramona has and uh, it's walks right up to the edge of irony it walks right up to the edge of a, uh, of being a little bit um, sharp in its observation but it it never goes over that edge just in the same way that it never goes over the edge of being sentimental yeah a friend of mine wrote uh, wrote on my Facebook wall that uh that she thinks of Ramona cracking an egg on her head on average three times a week. And, <laughs> and I said, I said that, that so much of childhood is encapsulated in that chapter. Uh, because, you know, the, the egg on the forehead is, could be a slapstick moment. And I think in a lot of people's memories, it is like a comical, yep. The, the, along with squeezing the toothpaste in the kitchen sink and uh, smashing into her sister's checkers game with her tricycle. Like it's, you th but then when you read the chapter, you're like, oh, it's this sort of like pivotal moment in the book and in Ramona's character where she begins to question like whether or not adults like her and whether she's a good kid. And, you know, she starts seeing herself as a nuisance. And, uh, and, I remember when we discussed that book, it was really hard to encapsulate it because so much of that story is Ramona's inner turmoil and sort of like the development of her self-esteem and her self-image and her relationship with her parents and her mother. And, uh, and yeah, you just, you don't get that from, 
you know, you don't get that in the early Henry Huggins books, and it did take her a while to get there. But uh, I, I think that's what stuck with me as a kid and the reason that I kept going back to Ramona and to Beverly Cleary, because uh, Ramona was my first experience with Beverly Cleary. Just everyone read them. As far as in my memory, they were just sort of I mean, they literally were always there from my childhood. But, uh, yeah, there was no beginning point for me. Like just Ramona was a given. That was the that was the book. Those were the books you read. Reading through all the books this time, what sticks in my head the most are the books, uh, The Luckiest Girl and Sister mm. of the Bride, uh, both because those were books uh, that reflected strongly upon Beverly Clary's life experiences. And they are portraits of young people uh, making their way in the world and seeing a, a much bigger world outside of their uh, of, of the place they grew up in. Uh, Clary is most uh, associated with Portland, Oregon, but it's obvious from those books that her heart was in San Francisco. She was um, always dreaming as a child of bigger places, and it's really interesting to think of growing up in Portland in the in the 30s to the point that going to San Francisco was like going to another world. Yeah, yeah, and and then discovering later on how how she took her own experiences with that and gave them to another took her own life experiences going to California from from Oregon and gifted a character with enough of that experience to give that character life but not make her a stand-in for herself like to still develop a new character with new experiences but imbue them with with enough of her experience that it it fleshed out I don't know how to put it she wasn't just writing about herself. This wasn't Laura Ingalls Wilder writing a fictional version of Laura Ingalls Wilder. This was Beverly Cleary creating several new female teenage characters steeped in her own experience and doing it almost effortlessly. And it's funny because I keep reading people saying, I have read so many people talk about, not just recently, but just in the past, saying, you know, if you want something really hilarious, check out Beverly Cleary's terrible teenage books. And there's like this subset of reader who thinks of those as her as her like failures as her like these are her. She tried to write teen novels and nobody cared because they're awful. And I don't know if people actually read them or if they just have this reputation because they're not famous. But if you go back and read anything from Beverly Cleary, I would highly recommend revisiting or just plain visiting those four novels because they are as as john just said they are outstanding uh works of young adult fiction i, I have a theory about that which is they are very much products of their times mm -hmm. which was the early 60s and they had certain strictures on what was or was not appropriate to talk about they just described relationships between the the sexes that don't necessarily resonate uh, today with teenagers. I think when you're a teenager, you're probably more concerned than any other time in your life about what now is like and, yeah. and, and, and rejecting everything your parents stood for. Uh, or, or did, or finding it hilarious to see pictures of your parents in college or whatever, uh, and and then you grow out of that, 
And I think growing into it, you mm. don't care about that. You know, kids can read stories that take place in the 20s. They can read Johnny Tremaine, and they can still, you know, relate strongly to the characters there. Uh, maybe, you know, teenage novels are unfortunately um, doomed to age more poorly than others. Well, I think that uh, that if you look at them now with the same lens that you use when you read a Jane Austen novel or anyone writing about the far, far past, but about young people then, it's the, to me, it's it's of a piece. It's that, sure, this is not entirely relatable, but if you go at it with an open mind, you get a lot of insight into the psychology of a young person from that era, because again, Cleary's writing from the heart and and from her experience, and I don't know, I I think that uh, I think that there is a wealth of of enjoyment in those books. If you're going back to Beverly Cleary, you don't have to just go back to the Ramonas, uh, to the Soxes, to the uh, what was the one about the spelling tests? <laughs> Which one was that? I can't remember. It wasn't Alan Tebbets. It wasn't Emily's Runaway Imagination. What was the spelling test one? It wasn't Otis Spofford, was no. it? No. It was really short, and it was just about, Muggy Maggie. Muggy, Muggy Maggie. That was not, well, that wasn't Otis, that was about writing. Oh, was it? I thought it was, it was about, about sp- cursive writing and whether. Oh, or not- maybe I was about cursive. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember being very un- underwhelmed. But then I said that, and someone was like, "That's my favorite Beverly Cleary book." I'm like, "I get it. You read it when you were six. Uh, so, yeah, but uh." I think that's all we need to really, to me, that's all we really need to say about Beverly Cleary is, you know, keep circulating the books. Right. And, and thanks, uh, Beverly Cleary, uh, yeah. for everything. Yeah. And thank you all for, for putting up with us for a few more minutes. Uh, <laughs> I hope this... this was supposed to be 10 minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I guess see you later. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, as I said before, maybe there will be that, that, that mystery novel she had sitting around. Maybe all those horror stories we never got to read are finally going to come out of the vault. Who knows? And then we'll, 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 and then we'll crank this monster back up. We'll turn back on. This is our, this is our, this is our Homer Price donut machine of a podcast. And every once in a while, we'll just flood you with content. Well, Till then. Bye-bye. Bye. Click It Cast is brought to you by the Incomparable Network. Find more podcasts online at theincomparable.com.